Welcome back to the Duck Territory podcast. Uh, I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Welcome back, Matt, to the continental United States. Oh, thank you. Uh, it should be just United States in general. Okay, yeah, whatever you want to say. <laughs> he was not in this country like what, for twelve days, for a long time. Yeah, twelve days in Mexico. Uh, I was basically MIA uh, in terms of Twitter and the site. So I don't, you know, I've been back for a couple of days now. But when I landed. In Portland, uh, late, early Tuesday morning, it was kind of like a rush of information, a tidal wave of, of, oh my God, a ton of stuff has happened. Well, Matt might be learning things in this podcast, <laughs> as well as the, uh, the listenership, it sounds like. Uh, we've got a good show for you today. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday, uh, May 30th. Uh, one, I encourage you guys to go to duckterritory.com. Sign up for our subscription VIP. You can do it for as cheap as $1 for 30 days, uh, or you can also sign up for a VIP annual subscription. Your first year comes out to being uh, basically $6.26 a month. Uh, unreal deal there. And we're gonna, we've got lots to talk to on this podcast. We've got Peyton Pritchard coming back, Kenny Wooten going pro, what that means for Oregon going forward for the men's basketball program, uh, kind of overall picture of the program football lines have been released for this upcoming football season Oregon at Washington you and I were expecting it to be uh, Oregon being the underdog but I don't know if this line is accurate for where we were expecting it to be it's a really interesting line yeah, there a little larger than we thought. Uh, and then Oregon women's basketball program uh, they've had a good off season and it keeps getting better and better and yeah so Eric's gonna give us the update kind of where Kelly Graves and his his program stands there. And then we'll dabble into some recruiting. We'll also discuss, answer some of your questions that have been posted on the site uh, going forward. So, Peyton Pritchard coming back. Apparently, my phone is not on uh, Do Not Disturb either, which is just oh, rookie mistake. Amateur, Bill. You forgot, amateur. you forgot how any of this works. <laughs> That's right. I forgot how to do my job. Well, I'll uh, lead off the question here. Men's basketball. Do we think on a scale of uh, Duke and Washington State, <laughs> where, where is Oregon right now? Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Right, correct. That's the, that's the right answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, Oregon's not going to be a juggernaut like typically uh, Duke is that we were kind of expecting. But then also, you know, look, people are saying it's a dark time for Oregon basketball. And, uh, and yeah, the news has not been great for the most part for the men's basketball program in the last six weeks, eight weeks. Uh, but that being said, I still think with Peyton Pritchard coming back now, mm-hmm. I still think this is a tournament team. Now, the, the question becomes, you know, before all the defections of transfers of Miles Norris and Victor Bailey, uh, guys like Kenny Wooten and Lewis King going pro, the idea was, hey, they were one piece away from being a Final Four caliber team. Yeah. Now it becomes where in that spectrum of NCAA tournament team are they going to be? Or do you even think, like I do, that they are a tournament team? I think they have to add people. I well, sure. Yes. There currently there are six players that that we that we believe will be available and eligible this year. That is technically like maybe if things get really dire, maybe like Isaac Johnson doesn't go on a mission. We have this is not reported. This is purely right. speculative. Maybe Eric Williams, the Duquesne transfer, somehow gets a, a word another year and they, that helps increase numbers. But six players right now, they they have work to do. And, and I wrote about this right after Matt left. I think last about ten days ago, just about how. They're, they really need some good news. And we kind of thought they'd be getting some good news yeah. this week. Uh, we thought Kelly Thomas, the number two Juco player, would be committing to, to Oregon. And he kind of did. 
he indicated he was going to go to Oregon and then took a visit to Florida State and or Arizona State and flipped the Sun Devils and assigned with the Sun Devils. So so really Oregon right now is is in kind of square one right now. They have six players, they need to add some people. I think depending upon who they add, absolutely they have the core to do. I think I think one thing that's getting overlooked is that if you look actually look at the six guys Oregon does have, Peyton Pritchard could go down as one of the great or yeah. just statistically. I think Oregon uh, basketball posted this. You wrote a little bit about it. Statistically, he has a chance to have a one of the best careers in program history. Yeah. Uh, you look at Chris Duarte, top JUCO prospect. CJ yeah. Walker's a five-star recruit. Uh, Francis Okoro, Will Richardson are guys that played a pretty sick, the regular players in last year's Sweet 16 run. Chandler Lawson, I think, is the first player in, in Tennessee history to win four straight national uh, national four state uh, state championships in the state of Tennessee. And he's going to be a freshman for Oregon next year. So it's a great collection of talent. It's just there's, there's not a lot of it. There's not a lot of it. They need they they have basically one true true center, yeah. and they have one true point guard, and yeah. everything else is kind of in between. So they need to find some players, and and that that is the process right now. And it's it's now we're recording this is May 30th. Yes, I'm not sure if this will it may be up in May, it may be up in June. Who knows? <laughs> you, uh, you will listen to it in June. It will be up May 30th. Okay, uh, but uh, there's just there's so many there's so many moving parts right now. And again, I think part of the the part that's been a little bit Disappointing or frustrating or whatever you want to say if you're an Oregon fan is just that there were a lot of prospects Oregon looked like they had a good sure. chance with, didn't land them, and the number remains right now six scholarship players. And I, 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 I agree with you. I think this collection is good. You add three more quality players, and there are, we should mention, good players that Oregon has been yes. linked to that are out there. It's not like Oregon is, is looking up guys that are, you know, went to William and Mary and played six minutes a game. It's not yeah. like they're going to fill this roster with, with, with kind of scrubs. They're going to fill it with good players. It's just, who they are and kind of what the total number looks like. I just think depth from a depth perspective, you can't be feeling great right now. You need you need two more guys at least at least. Um, and this is what I'll, I'll argue that Dana Altman's teams at Oregon, the better teams, they are the ones that have short benches where he's kind of forced himself into, hey, these are the seven guys, these are the eight guys I have to play. And I have no other option. And so we got to figure out combinations and rotations and, and who fits where with these eight guys. And that's all that we have. Uh, I think those teams for when Dan Allman has those types of teams, I'm talking like the 2012, 2013 Sweet 16 team, the 2014, 15 team that made, that went to the second round of the NCAA tournament and almost knocked off. Uh, Wisconsin, which was yeah. a one seed when Oregon was projected as like the eighth or ninth team in the conference. The next two years, when they went to the Elite Eight and then they went to the Final Four, those teams, they were, the way they were constructed, they had basically seven or eight guys that they played with. And I think you look at the, the 2000, this, this most recent team that made the Sweet 16, they didn't find their success until the bench was basically cut down to seven guys. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was the, the five starters, which at the time was Okoro, Paul White, Lewis King, uh, and then... Wooten and Pritchard. Kenny Wooten and Peyton Pritchard. And then they had um, Ehab Amin, and they had Will Richardson off the bench. And then you had spurts of uh, Miles Norris, and you had spurts of Victor Bailey. You know, But neither of those guys was a regular player. They often didn't play in some of the games that Oregon played. And if they did play, it was one or two minutes when the game was basically over. Um, so, so I argue that, you know, Oregon's best teams are when they have shorter benches. Sure. Now you, you can't survive with six players. No. You, you're going to need to find some more guys. And for Oregon's basketball program, they've got about, you know, 
10 to the 12 guys that are, I mean, it, it's crazy because it's almost June and there's still about 10 to 12 guys out there that you can say if they just get two of those right. or three of those guys, I think they're fine. Now, there's been a couple interesting things here. They've offered uh, Niven Glover, a high school 2019 prospect. You spoke to him. Yeah. He's high school teammates with C.J. Walker. Uh, he's all of a sudden landed a whole bunch of Power 5 offers. Mm-hmm. But when you told me about this, my response was there has to be something was up in his recruitment because a guy of this caliber just doesn't all of a sudden – Appear right. this late in the process, so but maybe you know maybe that's a guy that we're working at. And, and Glover, you go watch his tape, and actually you go on YouTube and search him. He has like hundreds of thousands of YouTube followers yeah. because he is a freakish athlete and an incredible. Like the first highlight clip you see of him, he literally goes between legs and does like a one eighty or, or like a, you know what I mean. I do that in my sleep. Yeah, well on an eight foot hoop or something. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah. No, but no, but his athleticism is incredible, and I think that's that's the type of thing where. If Oregon had nine guys on the roster right now, they're maybe not kicking tires on him. But yeah. if, if you're looking to fill bodies, his upside's probably like through the roof. Really, really high at six five with that kind of athleticism, plus a good defensive player. Um, jump shot's not not great probably, but an interesting guy and and not the only one out there, but certainly one that we but Oregon will probably end up getting a visit at some point. And if they land him, you, you get the Bounce Brothers and Eugene. That's, their, that's, <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they called themselves. The Bounce Brothers. The Bounce Brothers, which I, which I kind of like in terms of nicknames, but. Uh, yeah, an interesting prospect, and it is unusual probably for Oregon. You, you might know this, but when was the last time Oregon offered a prospect in late May like this for the upcoming season? It doesn't happen all that no, often. No, it, it doesn't happen all that often. I, I, I want to go back to you know 2011 or 12 when I think they went out and offered uh, Willie Moore right. a, a scholarship very late in the process. He was part of that Sweet 16 team that you know, but he didn't play at all as freshman there, and then he left. He filled, I think he filled in for Jonathan Lloyd as starting point guard for like four games. Yes. Like that, and did not go very well. Did not go very well. No. Um, but, you know, Niven Glover is, you know, a type of a guy that, you know, if you can get eight minutes, ten minutes out of him, you're you're going to be okay for the 2019-20 season. Because, look, they have their point guard in Peyton Pritchard. Mm-hmm. They have their backup for him in Will Richardson. Yes. They have their center in Francis Okoro. They don't have, uh, I, I think – a definitive answer at center behind him. So you, you, you ideally want to find another guard that can either handle the ball or, you know, defend the position or, you know, be, be good at one thing. And then you need to find another post player. Uh, I, you know, and then after that, it's just, you know, best player available, you know, add, you know, as many talented players as you can. Um, so I think Devin Glover kind of fits that mold and, you know, a, a grad transfer that Oregon's going to host here in June. Or relatively soon is Shakur Justin and or Justin. He he was the 2017 number one junior college prospect in the country. He signed with UNLV. Uh, he played his junior year there for the Rebels. Averaged 15 points and 11 rebounds. And then this past season he got hurt and had to sit out the entire season. Uh, and UNLV fired their head coach because basically he was their best player and they weren't very good. Uh, and now he's looking to play somewhere else. If, if they can add, you know, a Glover, and if they can add like a guy like just Justine, or if they can go out and get a reclass guy like a five star and follow Dante or an Addison Patterson or another five star Kyrie Walker, you know, all of a sudden a dark and gloomy off season gets back to kind of like the last year. It was a really oh, wow. strange path of of point A to point B, but they, you know. 
they took the, the, the longest path possible, but they still got to point B of it being a successful offseason. Get that column ready. Yeah, get, that, get, that, get that narrative started. And that, and that, that's a, I think that's a valid point. And that's kind of what I was getting at is that just, the numbers right now are so low, it's yeah. hard to really project what they could be. Again, I still really like the six players they have set right now. Um, if they add three guys and it's the right three guys, this could be a really high upside team that could, could contend for a conference championship. If they don't get the right two or three guys... This could be a team that's kind of middle of the pack and maybe pushing for for an at-large bid, and it's kind of, you know, could go one way or the other. And I think the thing that makes things interesting this year is that this was being set up to be a year where they were really good. And you can kind of tell that because they scheduled some really good games this year. And now if if, if this doesn't go very well, that could be kind of a disappointing run in the non-conference play where they could lose four or five of these games because they are playing, you know, big-time Memphis and Michigan, and they're playing, uh, you know, in these tournaments and stuff. So there's... There's going to be some big opportunities for them in terms of building in the resume. It's just, are they going to have the people to do it? I, I, I still I still remain confident just in the way the program has, has headed previously, but I do think there's there's going to have to be some some major additions. I mean, look at look at the class. Peyton Pritchard was a top 100 guy. Will Richardson was a top 100 guy. Francis Okoro was a top 100 guy. C.J. Walker is is a top 100 guy. Chandler Lawson is a top 100 guy. And then your sixth scholarship player. That's that's on the roster guaranteed next season. Chris Duarte. Oh, he's the number one player in junior college basketball for 2019. He was the uh, all junior college all American junior college player of the year. So it's not like this team doesn't have talent. It's just they need a couple more bodies to help them have the depth to withstand injuries, to withstand foul trouble, and, and to just withstand general fatigue uh, of, of a season. I think they'll get there. Uh, it, it's just. Unfortunately, a situation where it just doesn't seem like anything is going good for Oregon basketball right now from the men's side. Um, let's move to, to football. There were some interesting lines released the last couple of days <laughs> yeah. for the 2019 football season. Uh, on Thursday, the Golden Nugget uh, Sportsbook in, in Las Vegas released odds um, for a couple of games for the for Oregon football. Uh, most notably, they released the, the the opening point spread for Oregon at Washington in October. Uh, and you and I were kind of expecting the Ducks to be underdogs. Yeah. You know, probably like a three, maybe a two, maybe a four. Uh, the Golden Nugget has Oregon as a six-point underdog at Washington. I bet that line moves a lot. Yes. And obviously there's a lot of time for it to move because we're looking months and months in advance. But I, I, I expected it would be like a three or four-point line. Maybe, maybe. I thought three felt like a kind of a reasonable number. Six feels a little large at the same time. Washington has been the best team in the Pac-12 yeah. for the last three years, and it's a home game for them. Uh, you know, and I think those are big factors. And Oregon hasn't been what Oregon has been traditionally. How many road wins in conference play has Oregon had in the last four years? Three years? Uh, three or four? Two. Is it? Yeah, okay, I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I guess three because they they got two last year. Right. Oregon State and California, and then they didn't get one at all in 2017 under Lily Taggart, and 2016 it, it was at Utah. Yeah, I couldn't remember if they won anything in 2017. Yeah, it, they've not done well on the road, so that, that, that's a reasonable explanation as well. I, 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 I do think this game will be very fun and competitive. Six feels a little high, but like I'm yeah. not losing any sleep over it. And, and again, I think I think that's going to adjust itself. And I bet you, you know, we look a month or so from now and it's closer, or maybe in a week from now, the way things go, and it's closer to, to that four number, maybe that three and a half number. And look, and, and you can also argue this, is why are we going to expect Oregon's offense to be this juggernaut? Sure. Because they lost their, their best offensive weapon last year in Dylan Mitchell. Uh, they don't have a proven, you know, receiver at that position. They have, they have options. We think they have options. We think they have guys that will, 
that will make up for the production that they've lost in Mitchell, but we don't know that definitively. Yes, they have Justin Herbert, but there were points last year on the road Herbert wasn't good. I mean, and, and you can argue for whatever reason that was, but the reality was he just wasn't good at times on the road last year. And then, you know, last year's team just it didn't have the same explosiveness. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a bigger underlying theme for this team of, you know, some programs, especially at Oregon in previous years, they could lose some, you know, multiple go-to guys on the offensive side of the ball, and everyone would just next man up because history had shown that right. you know, the offense, you know, was explosive, and and you know, you, you had guys that maybe didn't have enough touches, but in the limited snaps that they had, they were explosive in those plays, and there's just not a lot of that on this team. I think there's going to be guys that that could make that that jump to have this offense be explosive, but they're just, they just haven't done it yet. I was going to say the reality is for Oregon to be more explosive offensively, that's going to have to be because of newcomers. Yeah. It's going to have to be because of Joan Johnson, Micah Pittman, Josh Delgado, Lance Wilhoy, uh, uh, J.R. Waters, some of these, you know, and I think the running back position is actually pretty healthy and the tight end position returns some good players. But in terms of, their ability to go out there and, and go from an offense that was actually like statistically pretty well represented in the conference. I think they were like second behind yeah. Washington State in scoring and in top three in, in total offense. But but it was methodical moving down the field. Yeah, it wasn't what we were used to seeing from Oregon. And and, and maybe this is just the way things are going to be under Mark sure. Cristobal. And that's and that's that's just the way things are. And, and, and but either way, I do think the strides we see this offense make are going to be dependent upon the play of Justin Herbert, the way the offense is constructed under. Uh, Marcus Soro, and then just how explosive they can be on the outside, because I really think last year is, is in some ways difficult to really assess, because there just weren't a lot of skill guys on the outside capable of beating uh, their man, and, and obviously this Washington game, with the way Washington plays defense, with those, they're, they're always extremely talented in the second, and they've lost a lot of guys, I think they yeah. had four defensive backs drafted, um, that's going to be an area where Oregon has a chance to have some success probably against Washington. Now, a school that Oregon has struggled with as of late, the Washington State Cougars, four straight losses uh, to that program. Um, another line from the Golden Nugget was released. That game's played here at, at, in Eugene uh, at Austin Stadium in, in the week after the Washington game, and the Ducks uh, in that one are a two-and-a-half-point favorite, which is kind of where I think it should be. I mean, I, I think – you know, the Cougars are, are a team that's – they don't get a lot of notoriety. They don't get a lot of pub. But, you know, they lose staff members every year, it seems like. Mostly to Oregon. Mostly to Oregon. <laughs> uh, but Mike Leach just – I think he's got that program as a well-oiled machine now. Uh, and it doesn't really matter who they're losing from a coaching personnel standpoint or a player personnel standpoint. It's kind of next man up and, and plug and play into that system. And they're now just going to be – you know, a solid program every year. I think one thing that adds, you mentioned, and this is probably important, Washington, Washington State for the second consecutive years are back-to-back games. And last year, we, I think that had an impact for sure, just in terms of how uh, Oregon performed. And I think potentially there could be some, you know, your, your Washington, Oregon is going to be and has become the big game on the schedule every season. And again, it's kind of right smack dab in the middle of the schedule. I think facing Washington State that next week with the way they play and how banged up Oregon could be playing yeah, right after a you rivalry know. game, that's that's a scary game. And so two and a half, I, I think, for me it's hard because I think Oregon's going to be better than Washington State, and I think they could be significantly better. So two and a half feels a little low. I could see that game, I could see Oregon winning by a couple touchdowns in that, especially with questions you have at quarterback at Washington State with Gardner Minshew, who was the, the conference's player of the year last year, uh, uh, graduating. But I agree, just... 
It just seems like every year Mike Leach figures it out. Remember last year, I think people had voted Washington oh, State yeah. in the yeah. Pac-12 North, and they ended up... They, they had a game against the Huskies in the Apple Cup to go to the Rose yeah, Bowl. Yeah, and they, they probably were the best team for most of the conference run. So um, don't sleep on the Cougars. I would I just think that number could... I wouldn't have been shocked if that number was a little bit higher. Uh, and then there was also um, a couple other games that have been already previously released but by other sports books, but the Golden Nugget did... Um, released some of there as well. Uh, Oregon is a three-point underdog in the opener at, uh, in Dallas against Auburn. It's kind of about where I would I would put it. Um, you know, I, I think maybe two, maybe one and a half. Yeah. Um, it, it's basically a a push'em game, in my opinion. And it's I, I mean, to me, it, it's 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 the make or break. It's a humongous game. I mean, you you don't want to overstate the opening game of the season, but like I really think. Not it sets only, the table for everything. It sets the table not only for Oregon, but also for the Pac-12. Yes. Because if Oregon goes out and doesn't win that game, the national talk is going to be, oh, the Pac-12 is, a, is, a, is an also-ran again. And I really think that's going to impact uh, the conference's chance of putting a team in the college football playoff. If Oregon wins that game, suddenly Oregon has a lot of respect. Yes. Suddenly Oregon Pac-12 has, has a lot of yeah, respect. Yeah, they just beat Auburn. And if, even if Auburn ends up being middle of the pack, you can at least say, well, they beat a team that was has a lot of talent. I mean, yeah. I, I've been looking pretty deep into Auburn the last couple of days here. We've been doing some... Some preview content and, and uh, they return a lot of really good players on both sides of that of the ball. And that defensive line is going to be, I think, that, not to go too far into Oregon Auburn matchups, but Oregon's offensive line against Auburn's defensive line has a chance to be a really really special, uh, uh, you know, battle at the line of scrimmage because you're talking about maybe the best offensive line in the country at Oregon and the best defensive line in the country at Auburn yeah. going head to head. And that that'll be fun. Be really, really fun. So and we'll be there for that. And I, I do think just looking through the stuff, uh, I think Oregon probably is a team that I think that could win this game, but a lot of it comes down to Auburn at quarterback. Yeah. Jared, Jared Sidham is, is it went for early. They're going to play a true freshman or redshirt freshman in the opener. Uh, that should be benefit Oregon, but who knows? These are talented players. I was just looking at both guys who were top 45 recruits nationally last year or the last couple of years. So Auburn's a talented team. Uh, other lines released. Oregon is a two and a half point underdog at Stanford, according to the Golden Nugget. Um, interesting line there, but you know, again, Oregon's just historically the last three years that they haven't been good on the road. And until yeah. until they prove that they are, no matter who they bring back. Yeah. There's going to be some kind of doubt, and it's, it's this is a look. I think this whole entire year, you could label this. You know, there's always like the year of the quarterback, the year of the receiver, the year of the running back, the year of the you know the traditional blue bloods, whatnot. For Oregon, this is the year of show me, right? The show me year. The show me year is we think you're good, but you need to prove it. And this is just another one of those cases. I think that's another really important game on the schedule. Auburn's obviously, we just talked about it, but Stanford, especially what happened last year at Austin, yeah. and I don't think, Oregon, <laughs> I Oregon fans haven't forgotten. I don't think any of the players on that team have forgot Absolutely. how things went down. It was a game that obviously they should have, they probably had 99% chance of winning, probably should, should have won in regulation three or four different ways. It didn't happen. Um, this is their first conference game, and if they are who we think they are, they go in and they win that yep. game, not just because it sets a tone in conference, but because this is a rivalry game, and they want to atone from what was a, I mean, one of the all-time great implosions for Oregon. I mean, it was really rough to watch. Um, an opportunity to do that, two-and-a-half-point underdog, if I was betting, I'd probably bet Oregon right now just because I think I think Oregon's going to be the better team, and I think they're going to be very motivated, and they understand what that game means. And again, if Oregon loses that game and lose Auburn, and they're 2-2 two and two, yeah. uh, hosting Cal, 
Like that season can kind of flip around a little bit. I mean, that's that's good. Cal's a Cal's a good team. Yeah, they're solid. They're, so uh, yeah, no, it is. That's a crucial game again. Uh, and then the last game that was released. Um, this one's kind of an interesting one. Oregon is a one point favorite at USC in early November. Yeah, that is interesting. I think that says more about what the struggles of USC than it does uh, of the confidence in Oregon because typically. Uh, in, in sports betting, a home team gets automatic three points. Right. So in reality, Oregon's already going to be like a four-point favorite if they were going to be played on you know a home field in, in Autzen. Um, I, I, and, and you look at the way USC is recruited forever. Yeah. They have more talent. Sure. On paper, but I that just tells you. I mean, knowing Oregon's struggles. On the road, knowing the questions that they have uh, going into this season on, at offense, and they're still a favor over USC. Uh, yeah. I mean, the fact that they're two and a half point underdogs at Stanford and six point underdogs at Washington, yeah, and a one point favorite at USC. That tells you how low the Trojans are, are viewed. That's a, a huge disparity there. I actually think that's going to be a huge game. I, I the, earlier this week, or I forget was this week or last, I did I ranked. Uh, Oregon's 2019 schedule is in terms of most difficult to the easiest, and I had USC as the third most difficult game behind the, at Washington and uh, and the Auburn game. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting game. Oregon being favored, I bet you that doesn't hold up because I think USC could be better yeah. this year, and, and I think if they are early on, that's going to be a really big game in November. And we should mention, like once again, like last year, Oregon, that's where their schedule was comprised. It was really it was a really tough middle of the season. They go to Seattle, host Washington State, and then at Los Angeles three straight weeks in, from late October to November. That's a really that that's where the season could be determined. It's those first it's that what, Auburn game, Stanford game, and then this stretch. Yeah. They take care of business there. They can win the conference. If they stumble a bunch, it could get ugly. It it's the end of May, and I'm fired up for football. I know I'm talking myself into this. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually like actively getting really excited about all of these matchups and stuff. And, and then I'm we're gonna realize, oh, it doesn't come for like two and a half more months. Yeah, I know, and, and, and it's it's all anticipation for nothing at this point. But um, we're real, I'm I'm really excited. I think this season has a lot of promise. And again, looking at the schedule, like there's big games. Like yeah. there, there's just opportunity for some really fun football games. So if you're an Oregon fan, uh, even if Oregon doesn't necessarily take care of business, you're gonna at least watch some really good games. I think. Yeah, there's I I think. From uh, an interest level, um, not like the 2014 season, like that had so much you know interest and hype because you knew you know the expectation was championship. You yeah. you had you know a Heisman candidate, you had multiple first round guys, you know you had past success. It was this is the year it has to happen, and then they got to the championship game. You know 2010, I think was kind of a year. I think this is a lot like 2010 where there, you know, there is talent on this team. There is elite talent on this team, but at the same time there are questions. Yeah. You know, who's who's going to fill in here? Who's going to, you know, what kind of depth do they have at this position? You know, can they win the two big road games? You know, their swing games and, and does, how does that set things up? And you know, I, I think this team could could get to the Rose Bowl. I think this team could be a dark horse for the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if things kind of go sideways here, you know, this team could could end up being you know a, a, in in the the Red Box Bowl again, mm-hmm. playing you know in the fourth or fifth bowl game for for the Pac-12. I think that's where the interest falls in is the sliding scale for Oregon is in both directions incredibly far. 
I mean, they, they could go undefeated, or you know, you could justify that they could they could lose five games. Yeah, there's a, a good thread on the on Duck Territory if you want to go check it out for those listening and haven't familiarized yourself. With it. Just about like, would you be happy with an eight win season? Yeah. The consensus right now is no. No. And I, that makes sense. An eight win season would be a step back from last year where they won nine games or eight games in the regular season. Um, I think people are really excited, but some of the posters, I think it was Portland Duck, made a good point of just like this is a different schedule this year. This is a this is a more challenging schedule. They have a, one really difficult marquee non conference games. They play most of the top teams on the road, whereas last year they played a lot of those teams at home. Um, I think it, it could be a year where they're actually significantly better than last year, but have the same record or a little bit worse record just because it is going to be a gauntlet in the middle of that season like we talked about with that Washington-Washington State and USC games. That's a tough stretch, and if they start slow, you never know. This could be – could be they could go 7-5 and five in the regular season or 8-4 or 6-6. Or and six and six. So, yeah, I agree. There, there's a huge range of possibilities. I don't think they're going to go undefeated. I think it's going to be a stretch to see them play in the college football playoff. But I think right now, I think Oregon fans would be really disappointed if they didn't win nine, nine or more games. Yeah, I, I look at this as what's a fair expectation for this season? And I think if they found a way to win nine games in the regular season, I think Oregon fan would probably be like, initially, you would probably say, eh, kind of a disappointment. But when the dust settles and the recruiting class is signed, I think everyone would kind of, you know, not the best, hope for more, but yeah. we can take it. We'll, we'll live with it. But we need we need to see more improvement. I think if they win ten games in the regular season, beyond that, it's it's hey, it was it, we we saw improvement. We got better. Yeah. The team the team took steps as a fan. That's what they're gonna. That, that's what they should say. Sure. Um, I'm sure that in, internally the coaching staff would probably be a little disappointed because they. You know, they naturally want to win every single game, um, and, and they expect to win every single game. Uh, but that's kind of where I, I think if, if you get below if you get below nine, that opens the door for some criticism. Yeah. And if you stay at nine, it's going to be kind of okay. Well, that's kind of what they did last year, and you know, but they did lose some key guys on defense, and they lost Mitchell. So yeah, wash. I, I just think there's going to be a. This is Justin Herbert's last year. Yeah, Marcus, he has to win big. Marcus Mariota's last year, they were great. You know, uh, Darren Thomas's last year, although he did leave early, they were really great. You know, I mean, I think there are these unfair expectations almost on Herbert is a senior. Yeah. He's started here for a long time. We think he's going to have a great last year. If it doesn't go that way, I think people are going to be disappointed because they know they have the quarterback situation set up. And they know after this year, not that we're saying Tyler Shock or Jay Butterfield or KML and any of these young quarterbacks aren't talented, but... It's going to be a, a, a new guy stepping in, and it's going to be a different situation. So this is just feel like a year where, where they should be set up for some success, obviously. Now let's shift gears here to the women's team for basketball. And Kelly Graves. Oof, they're on a heater. I, I don't want to be even close to him because I will burn. Because <laughs> this program is extremely hot right now from a recruiting perspective of just every single elite player seems to want to to come to Oregon. Dana Altman should probably hang out with... <laughs> Get some of that mojo to rub off. That mojo, but yeah, no, I, and then we're playing... Well, that's, that's a lighthearted guy, but at Altman, who's obviously had tremendous success. But uh, yeah, I mean, the women's basketball program continues to just add player after player. I don't know if we've talked... I'm not sure who the last commitment we talked about on our podcast, but currently they have five commitments in their, in their 2020 recruiting class. Each player is in the top 25 in one of the two rankings, which tells you a lot. I mean, these are the... Top players, and again, these are five commitments, and it's currently not even June. 
Oregon really hasn't missed yet. They basically they're shooting like 100% basically on their prospects. So of course, there's some players that went other schools uh, that, that, that they'll probably be wishing they could have landed, but they basically hit their players right now, and they're in a spot here where this is probably going to be the number one class in the country unless somebody literally lands all the other top players and all of them go to the same school. Uh, the Ducks are just loaded, and it continued with Maddie Schur and Kylie Watson over the last couple of weeks. Prior to that, obviously, they had commitments from Sydney Parrish, Angela Dugalich, and uh, Tahina Palpal. Uh, this is a deep group. Now they've got two post players in Watson and Dublich and three guards uh, that I mentioned a second ago in Sher Parrish and Pow Pow. And I think they're still going to look to add a player to this 2020 class. And even past that for this upcoming season, because if you're unfamiliar, 2020 recruits wouldn't be available to play with Sabrina Inescu and Ruthie Heber this year. Uh, they'd be available the following season. So they're really building towards the future with this class. But they just added Mignon Moore, who was a three-year starter at USC. Last year, she was all Pac-12 defensive team. She's averaged more than 12 points per game every season. She's going to step in and likely jump into uh, Maite Cazorla's starting spot. I think, to me, and I wrote about this on the site earlier in the week, this just further cements that Oregon is going to be the team to beat nationally. They are just absolutely loaded now. There aren't a lot of holes. You kind of you wondered about that, that off-guard spot or that other backcourt spot next to Sabrina because Maite filled that yeah. spot for her whole career. Was it going to be a Taylor Chavez or a Jazz Shelley or a Morgan Yeager or, or was it going to be, you know, some other player they added? But they go out and they add Minion Moore and, and now they are, I think, as complete a team as, as you'll see nationally. And again, if you're an Oregon if you're an Oregon fan, and you haven't gone and watched women's basketball. This is the time to jump on board. I already have a couple of buddies of mine who are, are who haven't really gone to many games who are saying I'm going to look into buying some tickets. Yeah, because it's just there's a lot of excitement right now. Um, around this program, and justifiably so. And, and yeah, again, Minion Moore, that is, that's that's an addition. You, you've watched, I think, every women's game this year. I, I was able to watch a couple of them uh, in the Pac-12 play. I watched, that, obviously, pretty much every game yeah. um, in the tournament outside of the one that, that was going on at the same time as the men. Yeah. Um, so I was not able to watch that one because I was Miss covering. Out. Well, that was Sabrina Spreda. Triple-double against <laughs> Indiana on that game. And literally nobody on our – there was no web traffic for it because everybody was talking about Oregon beating, uh, winning their second game against UC Irvine. Um, but I did watch I, – I, I saw two games when Sabrina was a sophomore yeah. against USC uh, and, and Mignon Moore. And then one of the two that they played against UCLA this year. And – Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think USC was probably the team from a guard standpoint that yeah. I think Oregon's guards and Sabrina and Maite struggled the most with because they were USC's guards, and in, in, in particular, Mignon Moore, mm-hmm. was, were so incredibly quick mm-hmm. that they could get up into the, the, the bodies of Sabrina and, and Oregon's ga- guards and really pressure them. And, and when you have on-ball pressure and you can't blow by them, and you, that you have to then use so much energy to, you know, to dribble and, and push off with your offhand and not, whatnot to gain separation, that slows you down over the course of the game. Sure. And so now Oregon's A eliminated that, that factor from, from their own entity. Yeah. And they've added that now yeah, to, mean, to their own team. That's where it gets wild because I would, I, I think I've, I'm not sure if I've outright said this, but like USC's guards probably gave Oregon's guards the most difficult run of any conference upon Yeah, that's and how I felt when watching them. You watch them. They're, they're big. They're, I, I, I think, I mean, go back to the, the game at Matthew Knight two years ago. I, I put the stats in the story. I think UNESCO and Cazorla were like combined seven for 25 shooting and had 17 turnovers in that game. Yeah. And that just sort of tells you they were having a hard time breaking that pressure. 
And again, like you said, now you don't have to face that pressure. Not only that, you have that on your team. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. Yeah. It's a perfect scenario here. And again, I think, I, I did write about this on the, on the site, the two things that Moore does really well, she's not a very good three-point shooter. She shot like 23% this year. But she distributes and she defends. And those are two things that Mike Tekazola did a really good job next to Sabrina the last couple of years. I think it's like a, a, a perfect fit. Um, you know, I think the one thing is, is if she, is she not able to shoot the basketball, does that impact kind of their spacing on the court? Because the last couple so. of years they've, they've, they've been kind of surrounded Sabrina with shooters, and now there's maybe one less player that can't shoot. At the same time, they've got a dominant defensive player who could be the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. She was on at the last two, she was on the, on the all-conference team the last two years as a defensive player, and I believe only one other player from this last year's team is back. So she's one of the frontrunners to win that award, and, Again, this is just this is shaping up to be a very special season uh, for the Oregon women's team, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they integrate both her, but also like Niara Sabali, Satsu's younger sister, who was out all last yep. year, so everybody is saying is really really good. And then a couple of these international players, Jazz Shelley being another one that from Australia, another guard that people are very high on. So uh, this is this is a huge win, I think, for the program. Again, it doesn't impact your 2020 recruiting class because it's exactly. a one-year pickup. You pick her up, you try to make a, a run at a national championship, which is clearly what their goal is, and you see what happens. I think this is, again, this is a 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 addition. This is, this is big time. Let's go to some questions that were uh, posted on the site. Um, we're, every Thursday we do a quack chat, so if you're unfamiliar with um, where we're going to pull these from, every Thursday, Eric, I, and Kevin, um, we have a running chat all day long where our VIP subscribers can just go in and pop a specific question, and we're just, Eric and Kevin and I are just actively looking to answer, you know, questions about whatever or our membership, you know, our VIP members have. And it, sometimes it's about the football team, sometimes it's about the basketball team, recruiting. Yeah. And other times it can get really funny and just be about random things. Um, let's go to uh, Hayduck's question of finish out the basketball roster um, for the 2019-20 season. Um, I had responded that I was going to do a story on this, and so you know, I'll have one on the site yeah. kind of mapping out my my prediction. So I, I, I'm going to look at two guys that I think Oregon will will sign at some point uh, in this offseason, um, and, and maybe it's, you know, predictions and, high, you know, educated guesses here a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the first one I think is going to be um, Infale Dante, the number 10 player in the 2020 recruiting class, um, five-star prospect. He's debating a you know a reclass or, or staying in. Um, you know, there's been mixed mixed messages on, on what he's leaning to do um, the last couple of months. Um, I just think Oregon's going to catch a break, and he's going to want to move into 2019. Uh, Kentucky, one of his finalists, they've kind of loaded up at the center spot. Doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to go there because. If you're going 19, you want to play right away, and he's not going to play right away at Kentucky. Kansas just got uh, Azubuki and Oscar uh, does De La Sova back uh, and eligible. So Azubuki comes off injury. De La Sova comes uh, be off being ineligible the 2019 season. So he's back. You're not going to play there. Uh, LSU maybe has a little bit of playing time, but I, I just think – I'm guessing he moves to 2019, and Oregon just is – just makes too much sense. Opportunity you can't compete with. Yes. And and so I, I think that's going to be one guy that they add. And then this is me, you know, going out on a little bit of a deeper prediction dive here. And I think they're going to, they're going to sign Shakir Justin, uh, the, 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 one of the, I think he's like the fourth best, 
uh, grad transfer uh, in this year's offseason, according to ESPN. And then I also think uh, they will add even Glover as well. Yeah, I think Glover is the one that I was going to add if you didn't, just because I, I'm speaking with him, my sense was he was really high on Oregon and the possibility of, of playing with Walker. Um, if they add those three guys, we, yeah. we tie this back in slightly just – I think that can be a team that can, I don't know if they'll win the conference, but they can contend for a conference championship. And those are three really nice pieces to add. You've now got a little bit, we've got some front court depth, which you don't have at all right yep. now. With Dante and Okoro, that's two legitimate centers, which right now they don't have that at all. Um, Justin is, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Yeah. Justin or Justin? Shakur is a, <laughs> Tupac is a, is a, is, is a guy that can fit in and oh, be a, a really solid offensive player, you know, around the basket and have some versatility. And then Glover, I think, is just kind of probably a bench guy initially, unless he's better than, than people expect. But that fills it out nicely. And then you look up and, and go, like, who who in the conference can Oregon not beat with that roster? And I don't there think should, there should be anybody. I think Arizona, Washington, USC have great recruiting classes coming in. But like, I don't. There's the conference lost a lot of good players, yeah. and I think Oregon, with what they bring back, and if they, you know, add these guys, there's no reason they can't finish in the top two or three in the conference. Um. Lucid, Lucid Nomad uh, also asked us, um, who's the one duck from each class oh, this, I love, I love this, question. this year that's going to kind of surprise people? And he referenced it by saying, nobody saw Austin Fiala two years ago in 2017 as a true freshman um, become who he was. Everyone was expecting Jordan Scott because of the spring hype. Another one he mentioned was Javon Holland this past season at safety. Uh, and then this spring, there's Gus Cumberland because of you know, he basically started at one of the defensive end spots throughout yeah. all of spring and every single practice, every single scrimmage, and in the spring game. Uh, so I'll go first with, with the true frosh. And, and I said uh, Triquez Bridges. Uh, and we had something on the site earlier where it was yeah. all who outperformed their, their star ranking, and yeah. all three of us had Triquez Bridges. And I also picked Triquez Bridges for this exercise, which I felt was – Basically the same exercise we just did, and it felt weird to pick anybody else. I, I think we're both we're all in agreement that we think he's somebody who has humongous upside and is probably underrated. At redshirt freshman, I'm going to go with Brian Addison. I think you know the, the the need for a receiver. Mario Cristobal continued to say throughout the second half of the 2017 or 18 season that um, he was very close uh, to having an impact, and there was actually debate because they wanted to win the bowl game so bad of burning his redshirt. Um, to, to potentially play him in that in that game, and they ultimately did not. Uh, but I think Addison's going to be a guy that's going to have an opportunity to make some big plays this year. It's, it is one of those situations. The fact that you have a player of his caliber as a redshirt freshman that yeah. you could redshirt him that that's huge. Uh, for me, I went Verone McKinley. We talked about this a, ver- a fair amount on, on the site, but was basically top nickel all spring. I think good chance he holds on to that in the fall, and if he does, it's going to be on the field a lot. Uh, the sophomore. Um, th- I, I don't know. I had a hard time with this one. Yeah, a lot of guys. Um, but I went with Adrian Jackson. I know he was a high-profile guy, but I think when his career is over with, he's kind of have, having to hide behind Troy Dye and Lamar Winston. But I think when those two guys move on to wherever they go, Dye is basically a lock for the NFL. Winston's going to have a senior year to, to kind of get himself into that discussion. Um, I think when those two guys move on, Adrian Jackson's going to step in and there's going to be very little drop-off in my mind between those two players because he can play both inside and out. Yeah, I also picked Adrian Jackson, and I think his story is kind of interesting because last year around this time, he would be the person as a freshman you'd say, oh, he's going to have he's, a huge year. Yep. And because everybody kind of thought Troy Dyke, I think, called him like a phenomenal beast or yes. something. I think I asked him about that at, at Media Day last year. There was a ton of hype about Adrian Jackson, 
continued through fall camp, got into the season, didn't hear a ton from him. Same thing kind of in the spring. I still think his talent shows, if you go back and watch the spring game, I thought he was pretty active and pretty involved. He was he was the one that rushed Tyler Shuck on that last interception to Mikhail Wright and kind of forced a, I thought it was actually a pretty good throw, but but, but forced to throw out uh, maybe quicker than Shuck would have liked to have made. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a very capable, capable player, and it'd be interesting to see kind of where he lines up. He has some versatility, like you said. Uh, and then as a junior, um, I, I went with Johnny Johnson. I think yeah. he had a very solid freshman year um, for Oregon, and then last year as a sophomore, from a standpoint of statistical numbers, regressed significantly. Um, and I just think he sometimes you just get into a funk, mm-hmm. and and especially in athletics when your confidence is, isn't high, and we don't know if his confidence ever wavered, but and it's unfair to kind of say it did. He's actually said it did. Yeah, he okay. told me one on one, yeah, that it did, and that was a big part of the spring and I, building it back up. And I think that that that's a, as much of a factor as talent is being confident in yourself to to know that you can make the plays that are being called upon. And I think knowing that you know it's a reset of a year, the the position is completely wide open. Mm-hmm. He's been in the system now for a couple of years. I just think look, I'm not going to say he's going to become an all you know all American all conference guy. But I think he's going to outperform what people are going to expect from him this this coming season. Yeah, another one of those guys that's had such an up and down career yeah. from underheralded to playing really well as a freshman to not performing very well last year. My junior is, is Drew Mathis. I, I thought he performed really well this spring. Again, linebacker remains an area I think where there's some you know opportunity to, to kind of fill some spots. I, I wouldn't be shocked. At all. I don't think he's going to start. I think uh, Troy Dye and Isaac Slade are pretty locked in there in the inside, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mathis is, is the third or fourth guy in that rotation if he just kind of fills in. Uh, as the senior, I kind of cheated because I took... Uh, Justin Herbert. I t- <laughs> really easy choice. I, I took Gus Cumberlander. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think he came in with lofty expectations. I think he was a four-star defensive end. Uh-huh. Uh and this never really has has caught on. He's he's had some solid moments last year, in particular, the second half of the year. Did, yeah. um, and ironically enough, playing like the nose guard position yeah, uh, in passing passing situations. Um, but I just think from everything that we've heard from Joe Salavea, the defensive line coach, from Andy Avalos, the new defensive coordinator, and then Mario Cristobal, uh, obviously the head coach. No, all is three. He, yeah, I think I think he's yeah, the head coach. Hasn't changed since you're. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't changed. Tell me, look. <laughs> Uh, but all three of those guys and then his peers have all talked highly of him this yeah. spring. And so I, I think, I don't know what he's going to be, but I think he's going to go from a guy that was basically just an, an unknown, just a body for, from what Oregon fan, you know, viewed him as to someone that's going to make, you know, every game three or four kind of impactful plays. Uh, I went with Brendan Schooler, although I also considered Gus and, and uh, Bryson Young's another probably good good pick there from a guy who nobody was really talking about but could could take a big step. I just think Schooler is very reliable. Uh, he's a quality blocker. He's been in the program for a while. I think he's going to make the most of his last year. And he, again, I, I think in terms of expectations, obviously he's a much more known com- commodity than anybody else that either of us talked about really. But he's somebody who last year I think people weren't very high on how he performed. I think kind of similar to Johnny Johnson. I think he has a step back or takes a step back in the right direction this year. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory podcast. Thanks for listening. Go to DuckTerritory.com uh, for more coverage of Oregon football, Oregon basketball, recruiting for both women's basketball, recruiting for women's basketball, and more. Uh, tons of stuff on the site right now. Um, 
we're looking, I'm looking at the, the, the six most popular stories on our site. One of them is a national story of winners and losers from the NBA decision deadline. But then we've also got Eric's story on Know Your Foe for the, about the Auburn Tigers. Uh, we've got our quack chat going on where we've got tons of questions being answered. Uh, we've got looks at Oregon's remaining hoops targets from 2019, the whispers in the woods from yesterday, and then Peyton Pritchard's decision to, to return to school. Uh, lots. So as you can see, we've got recruiting, we've got football, we've got basketball, and we've also got a little bit of NBA uh, going on right now as well. So uh, lots to, to, to talk and read and, and mingle with Duck fans on DuckTerritory.com. And I just highly encourage you guys to try it out. And again, if you aren't a subscriber, you can try your first month for as low as $1. Uh, or if you are an annual, if you are a month-to-month subscriber or uh, a non-subscriber, you can get your first month of an annual subscription. Uh, or you can get your first year of an annual that equates out to being $6.26 for each month for that year. Uh, that's cheaper than basically going to Starbucks and getting a coffee and getting some kind of a breakfast on your way to work. Uh, you just eliminate one of those out of the, out of the you know, 25 or 20 days of the, of the work week, uh, or work month, and there you go. You, you paid for your subscription. So, uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Frank, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. No more downvotes.